The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. Good morning again, everybody. One of my favorite spiritual teachers comes from the Islamic tradition, uh, a character by the name of Nasruddin. And the reason Nasruddin is one of my favorite spiritual teachers is because he teaches us spirituality through his own foolishness, which people close to me have told me that I'm pretty good at myself. (laughs) So Nasruddin is struggling financially and needs to really find some areas in his life where he can save some money. So he decides that he's going to feed his donkey a little less barley than normal. So he feeds the donkey a little less barley, and the donkey seems fine. And so the next week he feeds him a little less barley, and so on and so on, until one day Nasruddin walks into the barn and his donkey's dead. Oh no, he says to himself, just when he got used to not eating. It's a a foolish joke, and at first it may be hard to see the spiritual message in there, but to me, it it is there. Nasruddin is actually symbolic of our egoic selves, and the donkey, I think, is representative of our inner life. For a lot of us, maybe we're not struggling with our our budget, but sometimes we're, we're so busy that we're struggling uh, fitting everything into our time. And so we make a, a choice sometimes that, you know, I'm, I can meditate a little less. I can pray a little less. Less walks with no particular purpose of destination. Less long phone calls with friends so that I can focus on all my, my busy work. And at first we seem fine. Everything's okay. But then we keep going on and on And before we know it, we're we're feeling overwhelmed. We're feeling burnt out. We go within to refresh ourselves and find that our spirits have died. That our soul feels as dead as Nasruddin's donkey. And you know, this phenomenon of overwhelm, of burnout, it's not just the byproduct of working too much. It's the result of the neglect of our own souls. A lot of us have a lot of work to do around reviving and uplifting our souls. It's part of why I'm speaking today and next week on the topic of of sacred time, finding true peace in a busy world. And how many of us here would consider ourselves busy? Yeah. It's a a busy world. It's a busy culture. There's a lot going on. We're asked to work more and more. We often uh, need to be with our kids all the time. We're not allowed to lock the door anymore and keep them out and have them come home later at night. (laughs) You know, that great mystic William Blake said to see the universe in a grain of sand, an infinity in an hour. But he would have been shocked to find that we can carry all the information in the world, all the happenings right in our pocket, in a piece of plastic. It's a a busy world. And the purpose of my message isn't to make us less busy. At some point, if we're going to be busy, we might as well embrace it. 
But what I do want to say is that an important part of the journey to success is slowing down. Being able to be still for a moment is an essential part of a full and complete life. So my goal isn't to make us less busy, nor is it to try and give spiritual tricks to make us get more stuff done, although that's been my experience through being able to turn into the soul. But my intention is to support us in cultivating on a regular basis sacred time in our lives. Time to appreciate our inner life. Time to see all we've got to do today in 24 hours, but also to glimpse eternity. Time to be with our souls and appreciate each and every moment. Because when we forget for too long, our souls cry out. We feel diminished and begin to feel less and less our true selves. I loved how Wayne Muller puts it in his beautiful book, Sabbath. He says, when we live without listening to the timing of things, when we live and work in 24-hour shifts without rest, we are on war time, mobilized for battle. Anybody feel this way? Yes, we are strong and capable people. We can work without stopping faster and faster, electric lights making artificial day so the whole machine can labor without ceasing. But remember, no living thing lives like this. There are greater rhythms that govern how life grows, circadian rhythms, seasons and hormonal cycles and sunsets and moonrises, and great movements of seas and stars. We are part of the creation story, subject to all its laws and rhythms. Uh, Mircea Eliad was a great scholar of religions. Uh, the goal of our founder, Dr. Ernest Holmes, was to discover that, that golden thread of truth that runs through all the great religious traditions. Uh, Eliad, in a sense, went even further because he didn't just seek the common thread in all the great faiths, but he would study uh, small tribes, small communities. He'd follow shamans around. And for me, the greatest realization of his work was a theory not only about spirituality, but why we have religion in the first place. And he came to the conclusion that there are two types of time. The first is profane time. That's the time of hours. That's tick-tock time. That's get up, go to work, come home, watch some TV, uh, Go to bedtime. <laughs> Get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, uh, go to bedtime. That's profane time, the world of hours. But there's another kind of time, sacred time. Sacred time is the, the time of creation. It's time aborigine. It's primordial time. It's the time of the eternal now. It's the time of our souls. And we need this time to be the souls that we are. 
Have you ever experienced what I'd call an, an eternal moment? It's one of those moments that's always precious. And you know when you're in it because your soul just comes alive. And you realize that it's fleeting, that it won't last forever, but you realize because your soul is so present that it's captured forever. Not just in the banks of our memory, but in the very cells of our being. Have you had those times before? I remember a 4th of July with my wife, April and our son Gavin and we were at the beach waiting in the water and there were fireworks going off ahead. That, that was an eternal moment. It exists in eternity. I remember the night my daughter was born and April finally fell asleep and Gavin fell asleep and it was just me and her and she opened her eyes and I could see both the newness And the deep wisdom of all life, I could see the cosmos in those eyes. And they were looking back at me. (laughs) That's an eternal moment. And no, we probably don't experience eternal moments every day. But that doesn't mean we can't cultivate a sense of eternity and well-being in our everyday lives. We can commit ourselves to it and discover it in great ways. Now, I'm a busy person. And those of you who know me know I've got a lot going on in my life. I've got a new job here at the church. There's a lot going on here. It's wonderful. I've got a, uh, we've got a new, beautiful baby daughter. There's a lot going on. And you know what my greatest fear is? It's not failing in anything. It's not not getting all the work in front of me done. It's not, well, what it is, is the fear is not appreciating each and every moment. The fear is not appreciating the good of my life while it's happening. Letting it pass by in silence while I'm working the grind. That's what I want to make sure I'm able to be, to be able to do, to be fully present to the life that is there for me. You know, a lot of us who find ourselves busy, if we could have more of anything, do you know what it would be? Time. Yeah. Give me more time so I can get more of the stuff on my to-do list done so that I can fulfill the myth of relaxation. But you know, as a busy person, you know what the truth is? Is if you gave me more time, my to-do list wouldn't get shorter. It'd get longer. Because busyness only begets more busyness. Busyness only begets more busyness. What I think we really want when we're asking for more time isn't more time necessarily, but more space. More room to breathe. More room to appreciate. More room to be who we are. You see, in in, in TikTok time, we have a soul. In sacred time, we are a soul. In TikTok time, we search out our spirit. In sacred time, we enlighten and uplift ourselves. 
giving ourselves that space to be a soul, to me, gives us everything we need, not to retreat from our lives, but to return to our lives with consciousness and care and excellence. And so I want to talk about three techniques this morning for cultivating sacred time in your life. And the first is creating the room to breathe. Giving yourself room to breathe. The breath, to me, perhaps more than anything else in this world, symbolizes the vitality of the body and of the spirit. In India, there is the term Atman, which means the breath or the spirit of who we are. In ancient Greece, the word soul literally meant breath. It's our life force. It's who we are. And in today's world, breath usually symbolizes space. I got to get outside and get some fresh air. I'm really pissed off. I got to calm down and take a deep breath. But for me, when we are able to breathe with awareness, mind you, with consciousness, what it immediately does is it begins to bring into balance our exterior world and our inner reality. When we breathe in, we breathe in to the reality of our soul, the reality of our hopes and dreams, the reality of our love and connections. When we breathe out, we breathe into the world of our hours and our relationships and our work in the world. And it's an amazing thing to to bring those into balance. You want to do that with me? I breathe into my soul and breathe out into my world. I breathe into my hopes and dreams and I breathe them out into my world. I breathe in to my love and connections and I breathe them out into my world. And this isn't just a cool spiritual practice. It is a practice that brings myself back to myself from anything I've given it away to. I breathe in and away from what my boss has me doing today into my soul and back into my life. I breathe in and away from all the stuff I've got to get done to be a soul again. I breathe in to my soul, realizing I'm not just a chaperone for my kids who never appreciate it. (laughs) And breathe out. I am a soul. All right, mom, I get it. You're a soul. Now it's time to go to violin practice. Get in the car. Right. When we give ourselves room to breathe, we bring ourselves into our lives. Along with room to breathe is the importance to give ourselves room to remember. Room to remember. Frederick Biechner, a great Christian author, talks about a a dream he once had. And in the dream, he's in a hotel room. And there's nothing fancy about it, but he feels so at home there. He can write there. He can meditate there. He can be creative there. He can simmer in the own juices of his soul there. 
He feels complete there. And just like dreams happen, all of a sudden he's not in the room anymore. And, you know, he does what we all do in our dreams. I'm always trying to get on a ride at Disneyland I can never get to, you know. (laughs) And all of a sudden he finds himself back at the hotel that this room is in. And he approaches the concierge, but for, uh, God forbid, he can't remember the room number. So he approaches the concierge and he says, "Uh, there's this room here. I know it's here. And you may think this is crazy, but when I was there, I just felt so at home. I felt so myself. I felt so creative. Do you have any idea what number that room is? And the concierge says, as a matter of fact, yes, I do. The name of that room is Remember. And Beekner wakes up. Remember. Remember. Our life is filled with spaces that are sacred to us but they're only symbolic of our soul. Beekner was getting a message from his soul, and we all are. Remember. Remember. In the mystical tradition of Islam, there's Sufism. And in Sufism, when you pray, you don't make wishes to God, nor do you even ask God to make manifestations for you. The practice of prayer in Sufism is to remember. It's about recollection. And when we remember our connection with a divine source, when we remember our connection with God, for the Sufi, that's the only demonstration you need. Everything else in life comes as a byproduct of that remembering the truth of who we are. Another great way to cultivate sacred time through remembering in your life is through ritual. My favorite ritual is coming to spiritual community. It helps me remember my soul. Prayer and meditation can be a ritual that can help you remember and awaken the truth of who you are. But there's also everyday rituals as well. Cooking a meal that your your grandmother used to make and you're cooking the food, and you can smell her. You can smell your family in the food. You put on some, some music that you used to listen to with your, your family as a kid, and you can, you can feel their presence with you. You can go out into the earth and garden and put your hands in the soil, and you, you can feel the presence of all your human ancestors who've toiled that soil before you. And your soul awakens you. It uplifts you and helps you to realize that you are a part of the sacred thread that runs in all of life. You are not a machine made to break down over your work time. You are a soul enlightened and chosen by your creator to live in the fullness of who you are no matter what is on your list of to-dos. A third way to cultivate sacred time, and perhaps the most important, is to create room to play. Room to play and have fun. And if you're a busy body like me, what you, what you might do is you can fall into this trap of, of saying, I've got a vacation coming up two months from now. 
and it's going to be great. I'm going to get some books. I'm going to lay by the pool. I'm going to drink a lot of margaritas. And I get there, and I lay down by that pool, and I'm more stressed than when I was at work. Shoot, I've forgotten how to relax. (laughs) Right? Finally, the day before the vacation ends, I'm finally calming down, and it's time to go back to work. You know, play every day. Play every day. It's time to bring recess back into our lives. (laughs) 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Phone a friend, play some games, laugh, read a great novel, have a good time. That wise sage Willy Wonka (laughs) said it best when he said, a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest of men. And women too. And the other thing about play is we, we forget that it's a, it's a vital part of the creative process. If you're facing a problem in your life, if you're struggling to figure something out, when you play, it's a process called incubation. It means that you've moved away from the problem or whatever's there to allow your conscious mind to do something different like have fun while the often wiser part of you figures out the problem. So that time you take to play is perhaps the most important thing you do in the solution of the problems that face you. When you return, sometimes there the answer is. Or at least you've become who you need to be to confront and walk through whatever difficulty may be facing you. I I love a story that the great Carl Jung used to tell. And he was just reaching midlife. He had yet to write his great works And he was struggling to find what he called his myth. Well, what is my true energy? He was a big believer in this thing that he called the the unconscious, that we can call the soul, that's that's so much bigger than we can ever know, but it's always with us. And it just felt dead. He had writer's block. He couldn't get anything done. And he finally asked himself a a different question because he knew what he was lacking was a, a childish energy. And he said, what did I love to do most when I was a child? And when he answered honestly, he loved to play with rocks. He loved to play with building blocks and stones. And so here's this middle-aged man, a little embarrassed, playing kids' games. He got on his knees and he started playing with building blocks and stones and rocks. And he kept doing this. He would eventually become so good at it that he would become a great stonemason and build his own home. But he said, something in me came alive. The child in me, which was wiser than the adult I had become, was back with me again. What what did you love to do as a child? And it gave him this energy that he was able to take into his work, and he then wrote his greatest works about personality types and the collective unconsciousness, and he gave the credit to that simple practice of bringing play back into his life again. How many of us have shut out an energy of ours by being so serious that we're unwilling to have fun. So create for yourself room to breathe, room to remember, room to play. And you may not notice it right away, but not that it ever went away, but it's like your soul's coming home. It's like you're adding those layers of yourself that may have felt missing in the midst of living a busy life in this busy world. And find yourself renewed 
not by the stuff of the world, but by the bottomless wellspring of the Spirit. One more thing to try this week. The next time someone asks you how you're doing and you want to say how busy you are, pause. Instead of saying how busy you are, say how full life is. See, when I say I'm busy, I'm thinking I'm, I'm conveying that I'm rushing, that I feel out of control and there's not enough hours in the day. When I say that I'm full and things are full, I'm able to say that I've got a lot going on, but I'm present to it. I'm present to the fullness of my life. And I may not get everything done, but I'm stepping in wholeness to each and every moment. Busyness is like being taken over by the wave, brought underneath the tide. Fullness is riding the wave. It's riding the zenith wave with a sense of peace and wholeness, even in the midst of a lot happening at one time. Give yourself the gift of returning to your own soul, knowing it has everything you need to live a great life. To close with a blessing written about a thousand years ago in India. Listen to the exhortation of the dawn. Look to this day, for it is life, the very life of life. In its brief course lie all the verities of your existence, the bliss of growth, the glory of action, the splendor of beauty. For yesterday is but a dream, and tomorrow is only a vision. But today well lived makes every yesterday a dream of happiness, and every tomorrow a vision of hope. Look well, therefore, to this day. Such is the salutation of the dawn. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.